so I thought long and hard uh, about what to preach on today, right? Pastors everywhere are probably preaching on, you know, it's a new year, be a, be a new you and stuff like that. And I, and I touched on that a little bit, but none of it really felt right, right? We've talked before about the Holy Spirit and about following the promptings and leadings of the Holy Spirit and how oftentimes it'll feel like a, an assurance, a peace and assurance right there in your gut, right? When you're following what it is the Holy Spirit wants you to do. And I went through like five or six different passages of Scripture and none of them were right. And then I read this one. And somebody asked me one day, I find it funny, because somebody asked me over the past couple of weeks, I forget who, if I'm ever going to preach a sermon series um, through the book of Romans. And I said, yes, if you'd like to hear the book of Romans for about four or five years. Because Romans, you could read a single verse and preach a sermon off of that verse in Romans. Um, I said Romans is a bit more for a, a Bible study in a lot of ways. And here I am preaching out of Romans, because God's got a sense of humor. Um, I do love Romans. I will say this. I've said before that James is the book that if you think you're doing pretty well, go read James and you'll realize you're not. Romans is a beautiful book written by Paul who was a lawyer. And this reads, if you read the book of Romans, you need to read it like it is a lawyer in a courtroom. That's how the book of Romans makes sense because he essentially raises up issues and then defeats them whether we like it or not. But Romans also has some incredible verses in it, some verses that are really hard, like, you know, Romans 3, 23, and stuff like that, right? Those types of verses that talk about that you're a sinner and you're going to hell. It also has some very beautiful verses, like that God's working together all things for the good of those who love him, and stuff like that. And this is one of those beautiful sections. And I was like, should I encourage them to do something new? And God said, no, how about you just encourage them in the new year the past two three years for many have been very difficult right you begin at end of 2019 and you get COVID and all that kind of stuff and and over the past years I've talked to many people over the past two or three years that have gone through more in that short time span than in their entire life before it I want to encourage you with this this is not part of this sermon this is a free one God is passing his church, and that includes you, through his refining fire. He is getting it ready for the evil days that are on their way rapidly. He's getting it ready. And the, ch the, 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 the chaff is being burned away. Hold on tight, it's going to be a fun ride. That's not the encouraging part. The encouraging part of that is that God's with you through it all. But I am telling you, God's doing that. But this is the encouraging part. In Romans 8, 31 through 39, we read some verses, and if you notice down there under let's apply it, one of your let's apply it is you should memorize verses 38 through 39, because those are two verses that are just going to uplift you in the hardest times. This is a section of scripture that when you read it, all it should do to you is uplift you and encourage you. Let's read it. Romans 8, verses 31 through 39, and it is, of course, on the screens as well. It reads, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? We almost sang the, and if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? By Chris Tomlin this morning, but I decided not to. But it's incredible. If What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, and this is out of Psalms 44, verse 42. For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's talk about it, shall we? Number one, he is for us. He's for us. It's a pretty simple statement. This is... This is the pattern that Paul will follow throughout all of Romans, right? He raises a question. If our God is for us, who can be against us? And then he will answer it. Sometimes he does not answer it in the way we'd like him to answer it. For instance, in Romans 9, when he's like, so should we even bother? He's like, yeah, you should because God is God. And I'm like, well, that's not a good response, but it is, right? Go read. If you ever want to have your entire worldview flipped upside down, do a deep dive into Romans chapter 9. It's a very difficult passage of scripture it'll re rearrange a little bit how you see God. It's truth, but we're right here. We're in Romans 8 right now, so we'll talk about that. He is for us. And verses 28 through 30, right, we read, and we know these are not up there, Andy, just so you know. Um, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's a lot of people's life verse. It's a great verse. What does it mean? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He then picks up, what then shall we say to these things? To all of that. If God is in you, right? If you have accepted God, you were called, you were justified, you were glorified. What should you say to these things if God's for you, who can be against you? That's where Paul is going with this. Church, if you have been called of God, if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were justified before him. You were glorified. You're still here, right? You're not in glory yet. Some people are, right? We miss them but they're way better off than we are right now. But the fact of the matter is that the moment that you accepted Christ, that you truly said yes to Christ, you were justified and glorified in the eyes of God. And there is no better person to have on your side than God. I'm reading through, well, I'm not reading through. Um, most of you in here will know, I am a massive Lord of the Rings fan. In my opinion... It is the greatest book, not trilogy, because it's actually six books that they then condensed into three. The greatest six books outside of scripture that have been written. Fictional books, I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. Fiction books that have been written. I very much understand there are a great many people who cannot read them. Not because of an intelligence thing, but because they can't get over the weird words and stuff like that that Tolkien makes up. And they also don't want to spend eight pages hearing about how the one tree looked. I fully grasp that. May I make a suggestion to you? 
Andy Serkis, who plays Gollum in The Lord of the Rings, right? It's great. If you ever watch that, it's one of the greatest acting performances you'll see. And you don't even see his face because it's all mocap. Reads The Lord of the Rings in audiobook. And I'm listening to them. They are excellent. We just got to the part, I say we because I'm forcing Maddie to listen along with me at points because she's in the car with me. But we got to the point where Smeagol enters the picture. And in case you didn't know, he also voices Smeagol. So he does the voice. It's great. Smeagol and Gollum are the same character. Um, I could talk about Lord of the Rings forever. Where I was going with this, right? Where I was going with this. Merry and Pippin, who are two hobbits, meet Treebeard, who's a walking, talking tree. Um, and he, Merry and Pippin ask them, whose side of this war are you on? Are you on the side of good or the side of evil? And Treebeard's response is this. I'm on nobody's side because nobody is on my side. His side is just to protect the forest. Church, I say all that to say this. God is not on your side. He's not. You need to be on his side. That's when God is for you. That's what that sanctification, that process of justification, that process, right, of being made new, that's what it makes you. It puts you on his side. And his side will not lose. It's never lost a battle. It's not going to lose the war. If he's for you, who can be against you? God is for you when you are walking with him. Not just when you've become a Christian, because you can become a Christian and walk a completely different path from what God wants you to. When you are walking the path God has wants you to walk, he's on your side. Jesus is the proof. He didn't even spare his own son, right? How many of you in here would kill your child in order to save my life? Good, you've all given the correct response. If anybody in here was like, well, yeah, yeah, take him. He could die. Thank you, Laura. No. <laughs> Bye, Andy. <laughs> That's the correct response. And in fact, the very idea of something like that, Maddie and I don't even have kids, and the idea of sacrificing my own kid to save anyone is an abomination to me. God said, I will do it, because it's the only way to save you from eternal damnation. Here's the other beautiful thing that we read out of this first section of this. Oh, verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus. Is he who died? Yes, rather, he who was raised. That's the answer. The one who condemns you is Christ Jesus. Notice the last part of that. Who also intercedes for us. The one who has the power to condemn you is also the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf day and night. That should bring you comfort. It brings me comfort. The idea that God gave Jesus this power and he uses his power not to cast my dirty soul into hell as he should have done, but to sit at God's right hand and go, he's mine. That, that one right there in the red tie, talking way too much about Lord of the Rings on a Sunday morning. He's mine. And I intercede on his behalf. So that when God looks down here, he doesn't see me. I mean, he sees me, right? But he doesn't see my dirty rags, 
my fumblings of trying to preach, my fumblings. I had to apologize to my poor wife this morning because I was way too harsh saying something to her because I was doing other things and I really didn't want to talk about what she was trying to talk to me about at that moment. He doesn't see that person. He sees the person Christ is making me because Christ is in me. He has the power to condemn, but he intercedes on your behalf. Now make no mistake, if you don't accept his free gift, he does condemn, right? Romans tells us there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It does not say there's no more condemnation. Do what you'd like, right? You've got to be in Christ Jesus. So that's he's for us. Take heart in that. You're on God's side, and he's for you. I have incredible parents. I have an incredible wife. I have an incredible family. I have an incredible church. I'll take God over all of you. you, if you ever, do you remember back when you were, you know, um, in grade school or whatever, and they were picking, like, kickball teams? Louis shaking his head. You a little too old? <laughs> right, you're getting picked for teams, maybe in gym class or a recess or whatever. Was anybody here the last pick? Good, I'm glad I'm not alone. They're like, we don't want that short, fat, white kid. He can't do anything. And I'm like, hi, that's me. <laughs> My friends used to hide behind me. They were like, this guy's got girth. We can, we'll just duck out and throw, and then you're back behind him. One time in dodgeball, see, now you got me off. One time in dodgeball, it was me and one of my best friends, Adam. It was just me and him left. And I couldn't throw worth a lick. I've never had a good arm. But I could catch anything. He really couldn't catch very well, but he could throw. And it was him and I versus an entire other team. That other team had gotten everyone on our team out except for the two of us. And in that game, right, sometimes in dodgeball you play with the rules that if the person who got you out gets out, you're allowed back in. Well, here comes the problem because Adam and I proceeded to get out like five or six other people so that there was one or two against one or two. And then Adam, as he was running to pick up a ball, a ball hit him on his heel as he ran. And five other guys came back onto the field and I was thereby pelted with dodgeballs and we lost the dodgeball game. But either way, um, either way, that's completely off track. Here's what I'm saying. You don't pick God for your team. He picks you for his. And you are never the last pick. Take encouragement with that, right? You're not God's last choice. Number two on your note sheets, separation anxiety. Separation anxiety. I used to make a lot of fun of my dad because uh, he always wants to uh, sit next to mom uh, and stuff like that. Doesn't like to spend more than you know a couple hours away from mom if he doesn't have to. And I was like, oh, that's stupid. And now I'm like, when's Maddie coming home from work? Where's my wife? She gets up and goes somewhere and I'm like a little puppy dog. Where are we going? My other sister makes fun of us because I'm like, I will sit next to my wife at every meal. Not like if we go out to dinner, it's just the two of us will sit across from each other. But like, if we're at my parents' house, or her parents' house, or out with friends, or anything like that, I sit next to my wife. You know who gets the front seat in the car? There, are, there was two people that got front seat over my wife. One of them is dead, my grandma. The other one's my mom. If any of you got in my car, you have to sit in the back if Maddie wants to sit up front. Sorry. She gets that. So I say all of that to say, you might be able to convince me that I have separation anxiety. 
I like to say, I just like to be with my favorite person. Where was I going with that? Yeah, I know, I'm looking at my notes right now, and my brain is going, sorry, I, I, I got it. You can't be, stop it, you can't be separated from God. That's where I was going with this, right? So Paul lists off some worldly sorts of things, right? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, or war, right? Something like that, right? Can any of that separate you from God? The answer, of course, is no. In fact, some of those things might send you to him quicker. Just saying, right? But the thing is, the thing is, that we get so wrapped up in the things of this world. And I'm not even talking about in a, boy, I really want the TV. I really want my, I really want a trampoline, right? Does anybody here just really want a trampoline? All right, let's go ask the kids down the hallway. No. Right? We get so, we get so caught up in, how am I going to pay the electric bill this month? We get so caught up in, boy, gas prices going to skyrocket again. And they are. Boy, food prices are up. It's like 78% or something like that. What are we going to do? We're so caught up in that there's a war in the Ukraine. And there is. We get so caught up in so many hard and difficult things in this world that we lose sight of the fact that not a single one of them is important in any way, shape, or form. It's nice to have heat. I'm not trying to sit there and go, Maddie and I turn off our furnace because we can't be separated from God. No, the furnace is on, and when it stops working, we call the furnace guy to have him come and fix it, right? I'm not saying that you shouldn't work hard. I'm not saying that you shouldn't go, all right, where can we tighten the budget in order to do this? Where can we? I'm not saying you shouldn't. You live in this world. You are beholden to the rules of this world, which sadly all center around that stupid green paper. I am telling you that if any of them steal your joy, not your happiness, steal your joy, you are focusing on the wrong thing. Because there's not a single thing, right? There's not a single thing that can separate you from the love of God that this world can offer. Not a single thing. There's not a single thing this world can do. Whether it is hardships with money, whether it is war, right? This world is full of war. War has been fought ever since Cain and Abel, essentially. Right? The world's population dipped by 25% that day. There was only four people alive at that point, and one of them, okay. Right? There is so much in this world that can try to separate you from the love of God. None of it can do it without your permission. None of it can do it without your permission. Doesn't make the thing go away. Does not make the thing easier. It does make it somewhat less. Church, I know what it is to live in a family that didn't have much. I know what it is to wonder about where your next meal is going to come from. I know what it is to wonder those things. I will tell you this, there's not a single point when I have questioned if God had me. And I want to encourage you the same. Christ's love still has you no matter what is going on in this world around you. He then flips it. 
and focuses on something that, quite frankly, should be of greater concern to us, but is not because we don't live in the spiritual world as much as in the physical world. And he goes, life or death, angels, this says principalities, some translations say demons, right? Things present, things to come, powers, height or depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate you from the love of God. Church, just because you're in a church right now does not mean that there are not demons right now. Sorry, that whole four holy walls thing that you might see in certain things doesn't apply. Doesn't apply. You are constantly surrounded by demons and by angels. If God opened your eyes to the spiritual world, you'd be scared to death to what was actually around you. And no, they are not fighting like maybe you've read something like This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti, an excellent book, but a fictional book. They are not fighting like that. They don't have these flaming swords and your prayer life will have the angels win, but your sin life will have the demons win. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. I am going to tell you that the spiritual world is present and they are watching you. And demons are working to help you to sin. You don't need much help. I don't need much help. But they are doing it to help you. Not because they gain power when it happens, but because you are separated from God when that happens. Not separated in salvation, but separated in how close you are to him. And angels are whispering in your ear, hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you go do this? Why don't you do that? Right? Angel means messenger. Angelos is the, is the Greek word. It means messenger. That's their primary job is to give messages. You are surrounded by the spiritual world. But Paul says, and he wraps it all up. I love this because he lists off a bunch of stuff. And then he's like, just because I know there's somebody at the church in Rome who's going to be like, well, what about this? He's like a good parent who wraps it all up and goes, nor any other created thing. Church. What is the only thing that has not been created? God. God is the only thing that is not part of creation. Do you know what that means? Nothing outside of God himself could separate you from his love, and he promises when you accept him, he won't do it. You don't have to fear anything. You don't have to. Because all of it is created by God, which means all of it is under the command of God, which means none of it can separate you from him. None of it. Church, let's apply this to our lives. I hope you're being, I want you to be encouraged this year. Because we have all faced a lot of hardships. Many of you in here have faced significantly more and greater hardships than I have. Right? That's okay. It doesn't matter. Sorry. Because God's in us in every single one and none of them are big to him. So it doesn't matter how big or how many you've had. It matters the God you're serving. And none of them are big to him. Church, I know a lot of people that over the past three or two, three years since COVID happened, they were like, 2021 is going to be my year. And then it wasn't. And then 2022 and then 2023. And oh, How about this? Stop saying this is going to be my year. Maybe it will. Maybe God will have you strike oil on your land that probably won't let you drill it, but, you know, you could try. Right? Maybe God will have somebody write you a check for a billion dollars. It would solve a lot of your problems. I know it would. It would solve some problems. It would solve a lot of people's problems. 
It, I was going to say, it would create a lot of new ones. If you're not good with money now, you're not going to be good when there's a billion dollars in your bank account either. I tell people all the time, if, you, if, you, if I ever was like granted like the lottery or something like that, right? I don't play the lottery, but if somebody was like, here's the random lottery ticket and it won. I wouldn't post it on Facebook or anywhere like that. But you would know because there would be a what? Nope, not a Cadillac. A red Camaro sitting in that driveway. And you'd go, where did he get that? And I'd be like, I can't drive it because PA roads are terrible. But I've got it. Please. And not one of the, I don't want one of the old ones. I want one of the newer ones with the long hood. And those, mm. I, well, I'll never get it because I'm never going to play it. Right? But either way, either way. This year might be amazing for you. Every good thing in the world might happen. It might. I doubt it, but it might. It also might be atrocious, and nothing good ever happens, and it's only bad stuff. I doubt it, but it might. The odds are that it's actually going to fall somewhere in the middle. You'll have some really good days. You'll have some really bad days. Most of them will just be days. And it's about how you make that said day, whether it's good or bad. But I want you to be encouraged this year that no matter what happens to you, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's got you. He's got you. And whether it's good and you win the lottery, or it's horrible and a meteor drops on your house, God's still got you. Secondly, we talked about God is for you, but you got to be on his team. He's not on your team. Walk in what God has commanded you to this year. You're not going to be perfect, neither am I, right? We'll all help each other in that. But walk in what God has commanded you to this year. I don't know what it is for you guys individually, right? If you'd like to talk to me about it, you can call the office. We'll set up an appointment. You can come talk to me about it. I know what God has commanded me to walk in, right? He's commanded me to walk in being a husband. He's commanded me to walk in being the pastor of this church. He'll add other stuff as the year goes on. Who knows what it is, but he'll add other stuff. Hopefully, he doesn't take away anything. But walk in whatever it is God has commanded you to walk in this year. Because that makes God for you. And lastly, I am going to attempt, not necessarily every week, but I am going to attempt to give you a practical thing to do at the end of sermons this year. If you want to call, if you want to say, does he have a New Year's resolution, that's it. I'm going to attempt to give you guys a practical, physical thing you can do. I want you to memorize Romans chapter 8. Verses 38 and 39. Because in those moments when there are hard, and you question and you doubt, and you will, it happens. I want you to be able to quote that right back. And whatever this world is throwing at you, I'm convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. No matter what happens to me or anyone around me, God's still got me. It's going to be a great year. Know why? Because God's in it. You'll have hardships. You'll have good times. But God's through it all. And I can't wait to see what this year holds. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can come together. I thank you for New Year's. I thank you for another day to live and breathe and worship you in and glorify you in. I, I thank you, Father. I also thank you that the only thing that could separate me from your love is you, and you promised you weren't going to do it. 
I thank you for that. That no matter what this life throws at me, at any of us, you still are good. You are still our God. You still are, you still are in control. I ask, Father, that you would impress that upon us this year, that when we begin to get discouraged, which one of Satan's greatest tactics is discouragement, when we start to get discouraged, you would bring verses like Romans 8, 38 and 39 to our minds that we could just throw right back at him. We praise you, Father. And it is in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen and amen.